Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our topic today is the mental game. Now, professional skiers are often asked about the mental preparation or visualization techniques they use to ski big lines and perform at a very high level. But in this conversation, skiers John Collinson, Wendy Fisher, Sander Hadley, and Drew Peterson are going to offer a much broader perspective on the mental game as it relates to dealing with injury and adversity, self-identity, mental health, and more. Now, this conversation actually took place at our Blister Summit this past February, and we have gone ahead and published this conversation on our YouTube channel. You'll find that at Blister Review on YouTube, along with the videos of all of our other Blister panel sessions from our Blister Summit. But we really think that this conversation is so important and has the potential to help so many people out there that we wanted to post it up here on our Blister podcast channel as well. And once again, I really want to thank Johnny and Wendy and Sander and Drew for their willingness to be incredibly open and honest with us in this conversation. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Mountain Flow Echo Wax. Now, you have heard us talk quite a bit about Mountain Flow and its biodegradable products. You can also read about various reviewers' uses of their products on our website. But today, what I want to tell you about is Mountain Flow's Fluoro Wax Take Back Program. Now, this is the first-of-its-kind program in the ski industry in keeping with Mountain Flow's mission to get harmful chemicals off the snow. So, what's happening here? Well, fluorinated wax is now banned from all competitive skiing. However, it is still perfectly legal to sell and use fluoro waxes for recreational purposes. And furthermore, ski racers and their teams have accumulated many pounds of this toxic wax and have no way to dispose of it safely. So Mountain Flow is doing this fluoro wax take-back program, and if you have any fluoro wax that you'd like to get rid of in a responsible way, well then go to mountainflow.com slash pages slash takeback and you can find more information on how you can either drop off at one of their partner stores or send to them your fluoro wax. And we'll also include a link to their takeback page so you can get that information in the show notes of this episode. And now, let's talk with Johnny Collinson, Wendy Fisher, Sander Hadley, and Drew Peterson about mental health and the mental game. Here we go. All right, well, welcome to another Blister Summit panel session. I have really been looking forward to this one. I'm going to have our panelists introduce themselves here in just a sec, but the premise here is with this group, I wanted to kind of explore 
this concept of the mental game. Um, I think this is something that at least in the kind of snow sports world, when it is at least often talked about, like the mental game, what is that? It seems like that tends to mostly be talked about in the sense of like, you're in the starting gates or you're about to drop a big line. And it starts to get into kind of performance and visualization and some things like that. And uh, with this collection of really interesting and thoughtful people, uh, I thought this is a really good opportunity to kind of crack this notion of the mental game open and um, just take a broader perspective on it that, again, given the particular experiences of these four folks, uh, I think they're in a really good position to do that. And I think a interesting conversation is about to happen with that as kind of our pool break. So why don't we go down the line here? And and John, if you want to get started, uh, talk a little bit about who you are and a bit about um, some of the things that you and I have talked about uh, in this broader version of the mental game. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm Johnny Collinson, skier out of Salt Lake, Utah. Um, get into... Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I've had a bit of an interesting road the past few years, unfortunately dealing with some injuries, um, had like a back-to-back ACL on my right leg, and then straight into kind of a total knee explosion on my left leg. It was like, ACL, MCL, PCL, meniscus, patellar tendon. And yeah, so it's kind of been an interesting road navigating being a pro skier while simultaneously being injured for like five years. Um, um, my name is Wendy Fisher, and um, I come from a ski racing background, which, you know, maybe you guys did too, but um, I was on the U.S. ski team for seven years, went to the 1992 Winter Olympics. But, um, you know, I was very heartbroken towards the end of my career because I was having, I just wasn't having fun anymore. I wasn't enjoying the sport. I wasn't enjoying the journey like I was when I was younger. And um, so I quit ski racing and was really lost for a long, for a few years and uh, was sad that I didn't have the passion anymore. So I went on a road trip to never ski again, where I was just going to hit ski towns, um, where I had friends, try to have fun one last time because I, I was hanging up my skis for good. Ended up here in Crested Butte and got talked into the 1996 U.S. Extremes and uh, had no idea what the contests were about um, and entered them. And uh, luckily, Shay McConkey, who I grew up with, was at the bottom after my first run. And, you know, all the girls went in one area and I was told, I was shown where all the girls went. So I went there on my first run, and then the boys started coming down, and I'm with Shane, and they were going off the angle goalie on the head while doing crazy things, and their technique was horrible, and I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, I kept looking at Shane. I'm like, I'm better than that guy, right? Can I do that? And he said yes, and the next guy comes down. I'm like, can I do that? Yes. We did that for like five skiers, and then he helped me pick out a line, went back up for a second round, and the girls went back to their zone. And I skied down the line that Shane and I discussed. And um, this is back when Crested Butte was kegs and barbecues and lawn chairs all at the bottom of the venue. And I got to this air and back in the day when you could pause for a nanosecond. And I'm on this air 
And um, the crowd was just roaring. I was like, it just brought me to life. I was like, this is so cool. I remember thinking that and I got my air and I ski down to the bottom and everyone's like, we've never seen a girl do that. And I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And so that was then the future of me getting into um, big mountain skiing, extreme skiing back then, starting to film with Matchstick Productions. And uh, just, you know, I was at the bottom of my emotional life to then get, you know, shot out of a canyon, cannon into this whole new vibrant experience. And so I just fell back on um, not quitting skiing and just making it part of uh, my life. I'm a lot older than these guys up here and I'm still loving it and still, it's still a big passion of mine. My name is Sandra Hadley. I'm from Pocatello, Idaho. Um, I've got a interesting story like each one of us up here. Um, so I was kind of a self-made internet skier, as I like to say. Uh, made some GoPro videos around Alta and Snowbird about eight years ago and got my start that way. Um, made a resort segment with MSP and, you know, dreams accomplishing quickly. And in that same winter, my father ended up passing away. So becoming a pro skier and then three months later, losing your dad and the whole thing just kind of came crashing down for a sec. And uh, anyways, the last seven years have been pretty interesting, trying to find my way with skiing and everything and trying to play other people's games and realizing that I just got to play my own. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. It's awesome to be on this panel because I think that all of us are already hearing so much of ourselves in each other's story. So anyhow, my name's Drew Peterson. I am also a professional skier and my summer passion is trail running and ultra running. And most of my ski career is focused on telling stories through written word, through filmmaking. And uh, most recently, I've been using my athletic career to advocate for things I care about. It started with climate, ch climate change and climate action. And now what I advocate for is entire cultural change surrounding mental health in our ski community and in our outdoor community. And like I said, there's a lot of elements in uh, all of their stories and mine. Um, I just released a film that goes into my own personal mental health journey, which has really been a lifelong struggle, but really came to a culmination and, and sort of a encapsulated journey in the, in the last five years. Um, and my story kind of includes uh, a lot of things that a lot of us struggle with in the ski and outdoor community, ranging, you know, like Johnny, with injury struggles and the physical side, or like Wendy with an identity crisis, or like Sander with loss, and we'll get into some of our other uh, overlap as well. Um, but my story really ranges the gamut from uh, PTSD to bipolar disorder, depression, suicidality. I speak very openly about my suicidal thoughts now, and that's part of my advocacy, um, to sobriety, to, uh, to sitting right here. Yeah. There's so many ways we could go now, but I think where we'll sort of start let's just start kind of mixing this up. One of the things that I think is really interesting, all of you have 
operated at a very high level um, in this sport of skiing. That's not the only area areas in which you operate at a high level, but you know the kind of dedication and commitment it takes to be excellent at anything can start to really narrow. I think necessarily, perhaps, how we start to identify like our self-identity and it seems almost um, inextricable. Like if you're going to commit to something so hard to get to such a high level, yeah, it it seems almost, um, it just goes hand in hand that that becomes your identity. And so Johnny, in your case, thinking through five years of, you know, injury and coming back. And here's another one. What's it been like for you to kind of know like, well, when I'm healthy, I'm operating at a very high level and then it's kind of taken away. You aren't able to ski. Um, what have you been doing? I'm, I either share with us what that experience has been like or some of the things that you've learned to help you negotiate that. Right. Um, well, I think for me, like a big part of that journey has been really figuring out like what my identity is versus what people's perception is of me and not creating my identity on what everyone else's perception is. Cause it's like, yeah, it's easy. It's easiest to just be like, yeah, I'm Johnny, I'm a skier, but I'm way more than that for myself, but that's just kind of what everyone else sees. Mm -hmm. And so when that stripped away, for me, it was like, that was one piece of me, you know, like the really high octane, like skiing I love to do is like, I couldn't do it. But for me, it was all about not thinking about the things I can't do is like, what can I do? And that's what has, I don't want to say it's been like an easy journey, but it definitely has helped me make it through a lot easier when it's like, yeah, I can do this. I can do that. And I'm not going to like spend my time worrying about stuff I can't do, Mm -hmm. I guess. So through the different injuries, did it, did it not get dark for you in that? I mean, like we talked a bit about, you know, you were giving credit to your parents and just the way you were raised that was helpful in some of this. But I'm just curious from your personal experience, did you, because I also shared some of my own injury stuff that like I did not have the same kind of uh, very healthy perspective that you just uh, expressed. Um, so did that, did you get into that perspective early or did it take a while to get there? Uh, no, it was pretty early. And so that's where it was like, yeah, I give uh, like so much credit to my parents and how, how they raised us. And when I say us, I mean my sister and I. Um, and yeah, just kind of like the values they instilled in us of like, never thinking about what we can't do, like I said. And so once I got injured, it was, um, man, so many thoughts, sorry. But it was like a lot easier for me to try and stay positive by thinking about what I can do. And also it was, I, every time I got injured, it was like, yeah, that I knew that risk was inherent with what I'm doing. And how do I put 
put this all. Sorry. Um, so it kind of made it easier when it's like, yeah, I chose to make those decisions leading up to it. And I wouldn't take them back necessarily. I can't change it. And so I just have to take every injury and every piece of it as a learning experience to like create the path forward that I want to, I guess. Yeah. Wendy, in your case, the question of like self-identity, you've said that you found yourself just kind of burned out and, and it was painful to be like, I don't love skiing anymore. I'm curious how much of this had to do with like performance or performing at a certain level versus, um, and, and that affecting identity versus like, no, I just fell out of this thing. I fell out, I fell out of love with the thing that had been such a defining element of my life. It's so complicated. I mean, probably all of us have, like you brought up your parents and your upbringing, like probably who we are and how we got here has a lot to our upbringing, what happened when we were young. Um, and so I'll try not to get emotional, but, you know, my brother passed away at squaw skiing when um, he was 13. And um, I came across him and knew he was dead. And I, and I really look back to that still as I still reflect. I mean, it's been so many years, but I still reflect that as being a defining moment of my skiing, because as I got older, um, I th- I'm not sure if I was skiing for me or if I was skiing for him. And um, to carry on what we moved to Tahoe because he loved skiing. My parents always told me. My parents would always continue to tell me stories about him, so he is in my brain all the time. And uh, so when my ski performance started to go downhill, it's almost like, you know, it, it, was very, it was a huge conflict all the time. And um, so when my years were um, the ending of my ski racing career, when it wasn't going well anymore, I mean, I thought about him a lot, feeling like I was failing him. There was just so much buildup in there. And um, so when I did finally quit, uh, it was so hard to quit because I felt like I was you know, letting not just uh, my parents down, who who were great. By the way, when, we're, when you're talking about parents, my parents were awesome. So after my brother died, it was not about skiing. It, it was, they had a skiing right away. Um, you know, I'm seven years old. It could have gone so many different ways. It could have been like, don't ski again. It's a dangerous sport. You shouldn't get out there. Instead, it was he, you know, his service was on the mountain. He's actually buried at the top of Squaw. Um, and you know, we cremated him and and that's where he is. So it was so much more of like, get back out there. You're not going to stop skiing. He loved it. This is our sport. And here I am today. I mean, it's still my sport. It's still what I do. And, uh, so when I was falling out of love with it and the struggle with ski racing, which is natural, I mean, you're an athlete or you're a lawyer, you know, you're going to have a downfall. I still love my racing background, still love that I was a ski racer. It went to shit and that happens. Um, I'm just so grateful that I found this outlet and I needed it so bad because I was at my lowest low. It was my identity. I'd been skiing since I was two. It was my whole life. I dedicated my time and energy to this one sport And then after you're done with ski racing, it's gone. 
And I wasn't ready to be an instructor. I was 23. I didn't want to teach skiing yet. Had no patience for that. It's like, now what? And now I do. I'm actually a really good instructor, if you want to know. (laughs) And I love helping people. Um, But back then, I was like, oh, my God, I just put so much time and energy into the sport. And now what? There was nothing. So when I came across the extremes, you know, this contest, I mean, it, it just... I just, it blew me out of the water of my depression. Like, I mean, I've, in my depression, go back from my brother's death. Like, I've had ups and downs up until just a few years ago. Like, it's a constant battle. But skiing is the one thing that has always just, I mean, I don't know who I was skiing with yesterday, but we had a freaking awesome day. And it was so exciting and fun. Uh, Like, just showing people new terrain and doing new stuff and skiing is um is cheesy but it's my life it's like been the one strong hold that is makes me alive you know and so i really loved it and i don't remember your question anymore but <laughs> i don't know if i've gone off track or yeah, not no but <laughs> yeah you you did great so and and you know, just like look at you bringing all these people together. To test. I'm not a geek. I don't know. Everyone's asking me about ski equipment and talking about. It. I'm like, I have no idea. I just give me these skis. I'm gonna go ski on them. But but I mean, I I love the energy in this room and and all that stuff. So. Yeah. I don't even want to ask a question, Sandra. I'm just gonna say you go. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as far as like skiing is your identity it's it is tough to find something outside of it you know and you it is all you think about even in the summertime you know you're watching the ski movies you're looking at the magazines from last year and I mean at 29 years old I still like probably have three to five hobbies that I actually do and the main one takes up most of the year um and yeah when you're down and out with it in the summertime I live in a rural area kind of disconnected from the scene I used to live in Salt Lake City for a while and now I'm in Pocatello Idaho and I, I enjoy disconnecting from the scene, you know, in the summertime, like going and hanging out with friends, working a normal job. And I think that's important to like know that there is life outside of that. And uh, yeah, put some some self-confidence aside from just being on your skis because that's the only place it's been since like five. <laughs> so once again, <laughs> lots of parallels here. Um, yeah, I think identity has been a real struggle for me. Um, through, through my struggles, both with physical and mental health. Um, you know, I think that a lot of us will associate with this because in order to ski at a really high level and to build a professional career, I had to have a very one track mind. Everything had to go into skiing. And as a result of that, all of my identity got wrapped up in skiing. I was a skier. And it ended there. That was me. That was all of me. And it took a really long time for me to start building an identity outside of skiing. And uh, it took a lot of uh, struggle and existential conflict. Um, You know, for perspective, um, Johnny and I were talking about this earlier today because we've both struggled with a ton of injuries. I've had 13 surgeries over my ski career and I'm 27 years old. Um, and in the past five years, like I mentioned in the opening moment, uh, my mental health journey has really come to a T and that started with an accident in the mountains. 
um, a near-death accident. And following that near-death accident, the next three winters, I had a season-ending injury. So skiing was my one outlet. Skiing was my one identity. And when I didn't have that, I didn't know who I was. My self-worth, my self-confidence was wrapped up in skiing. And it just kept being taken away from me. And in that journey, like very early on, all of my doctors were like, well, you know, if this recovery doesn't work out or, you know, especially on also wrapped up in there are um, a couple really severe concussions. And uh, my neurologist very early on is like, well, you know, if you don't make it back from this, like, what are you going to do? And I didn't have an answer. And maybe I still don't have an answer, but I've built an identity outside of skiing that no longer is my self-confidence, my self-worth, my self-identity wrapped up in just being a skier. And I think that that's, you know, a process that really takes a lot of growing up and it takes a lot of perspective and experience outside of skiing to build that identity. You know, Johnny and I were talking about today, like a silver lining of injury and a silver lining of recovery is you have this time and this opportunity to explore other avenues of life and other avenues of yourself. And, you know, while my one track mind and my pure identity as a skier got me in a lot of trouble and fueled that downward spiral, like the, the breaking points and the, the time away is what allowed me to build more of an identity beyond that. Yeah. A line that Johnny and I were talking earlier today and um, something that I've mentioned a few times in some of the different uh, podcast conversations we've done that, uh, and I, I, I learned this too late in life, what you just said, Drew, and, and what Johnny already talked about, right. With kind of the first injuries that he's like, I didn't really ever focus on what I couldn't do. I was more focused on what I could do. And the little mantra for me, um, you know, I'm simple. So I needed like the couple words thing, but was kind of that understanding, like something happens, it's maybe an injury or something doesn't go your way. And maybe it's pretty devastating to come back to this, like everything is an opportunity and the job I think of at least one version of a, you know, successful life is like, you might not like the present moment, but like, what is the opportunity? Find it. Right. And I think in my own experience, it's like, if you, if I'm unwilling, if I want to pout or if I'm unwilling to find that, or I'm not creative enough to find that, that isn't going to go well. Like, I don't, I don't think you're going to be well served, you know? Um, does that make sense? Did, did everybody figure that out a long time ago, like way suit quicker than I did? You did. Yeah. I don't know, I guess. Yeah. Figured it out. Um, I think it, it like, yeah, it's the injury too. like another silver lining for me was it was like, it made life really simple and it was like, 
like Drew was saying, for years it was just like, you know, trying to push the boundary with the skiing and like, I got to do this. I got to go faster. got to go bigger, do that. And then you get hurt and it's like, I mean, hitting a bigger cliff doesn't make me a better person. So it's like, how can I use this time to a try and be a better person or I don't know, help, you know, I, I get all these tools as a pro skier when it's like, you get injured and like every physical therapist, every doctor wants to help you out. And that's a really unique situation. And I would love to, to use that to like, to spread it out. It's like, we get all these privileges and it's like, how can we like pass that on a little bit? Um, which, you know, in this day and age, like uh, social media is like such a great way to do that. And, you know, it has, the ups and downs it's like kind of can be a pretty horrible place but if used well i think it's a pretty cool thing as well um and i don't think i answered what you're saying at all with that (laughs) well i think i think you kind of did so let's i mean it again i'm impressed it does seem like you picked up on the like here's my situation i got shut down here i'm gonna quickly move over to find these other avenues. And so in your cases, I'd be curious, you know, to hear what the answer is in terms of that. Did you pretty quickly pick up on the like, this hasn't gone the way I want, or I'm burned out or something. And, you know, I guess the kind of intentional pivot maybe is a way to put it. Well, my, my pivot was always on happiness. If I'm not, if I'm unhappy, I need to find the next thing, and which was with my ski racing case. And then, um, and it's happened other times. And I don't think far ahead other than day to day or, you know, a few days in advance. And it's all about just how can I find, if I'm in a rut, how do I get out of it? And quite honestly, it's really weird. And I don't know why, because you guys have had injuries, but um, I'm just going to say I'm, a, I'm 50. I'm pretty old in my career. I have never really been hurt, and I've had disastrous crashes. And part of that mental, um, when you're down in the dumps, when I discovered big mountain skiing, I didn't give a shit if I got hurt. Like, I, when I would go to contests, I would look at airs, and we didn't get to practice them. I didn't know if I could do it. And I would look at them and be like, well, if it doesn't work out, I might break something or blow out a knee. I haven't yet. Every skiing's a dangerous sport. It's going to happen someday. And that was my mentality. Like, I'm going to go do that air. If I blow up, uh, you know, my time's going to come. And I, if I did or didn't blow up, it just no, nothing ever happened. I don't know if it's genetics. Um, I, I mean, I, I was strong. I'm a fit athlete, but I don't think I'm the strongest out there. Um, people have told me, they seem, they look at me and say, oh, you look like a natural crasher, but maybe I'm knocked out. Like, I don't know, but. <laughs> a natural crasher? Yeah. Um, I've, I've been told that a few times. Wow. So I don't know what that means. I'm very yeah. loose when it happens. Just like, let it go. But, um, you know, and so I, I can't say to what you guys have experienced, because I mean, I guess I'm grateful I haven't been injured, but I've always embraced the, op- the chance. I've always, whenever I've done my contests, whenever I film as matchstick productions, I mean, I know it could be my last run. I, I, it's just, we were talking about avalanches earlier. I mean, God, the learning curve I had, I was 
so naive and you're just learning so much as you go. Um, and you still throw it out in line, even if it could be dangerous. It's just the, the energy that you get when you're on top, when you're in that environment. Um, so yeah, and maybe it's darkness, you know, darkness that is like, I have nothing to lose, you know, if I go out on this run. So that's always been my mentality and it's hard for people to understand or relate to that, but I've never, I've always been waiting for the day that something's going to go down, but, um, surprisingly it hasn't. So I don't know. I, I don't know how I'd be able to deal with injuries. I haven't had a thought, think about my alternative lifestyle because it just hasn't, I haven't been interrupted yet. Well, I had kids. That's my interruption. So then <laughs> I had to raise them. <laughs> So. I'm like Wendy. I've been lucky to not be too broke off skiing. Knock on wood. I don't know how you didn't do that, but yeah. it's your own piece. Um, and I'm, I'm like Johnny, um, where he's talking about you get so many tools as a professional skier. I find myself at the end of every winter being like, okay, this was an awesome winter, but like, you know, this was really kind of just a selfish pursuit for the last five, six months. And that's great and everything. But if there's one job as a professional skier, it's to be like to inspire people. And so take that as you will, you know, foo fooey. But to me, it's like you want to make change and you want to bring people's awareness to things. Um, I had my first avalanche accident last winter and that completely flipped the script for me, you know, and for the last eight years, I put my safety into a lot of other people's hands and not taking accountability for it. And so after that accident, it's been like, well, here's a perfect opportunity to do something, man. You know, like the real professionals out there are the ones, the avalanche forecasters, the people that were in the last panel, you know, like actually helping people be safer. And so through avalanche talk, like Drew's talking about with climate advocacy, like I was talking earlier, like surfers, everybody in surfing is wants to protect the ocean, you know, and skiing, it should be the same way. It's synonymous, you know it's magical that the snow comes back every year. You know, like you look at the stuff you ski in the summertime and it's like, how in the hell did we do that? Um, so yeah, I've just been trying to, to find purpose that way. And obviously still recognizing that this is just an awesome selfish pursuit for what it is for now. Um, and, uh, yeah, just been lucky with no injuries. I was joking before we did this, that we could like, talk for four hours like the challenge was going to be to keep it under four hours um and i think that's very true um i want to go back to jonathan's original point of viewing things as an opportunity and i think that johnny's mindset of like seeing what's ahead of you rather than what's behind you is a great example of that and that made me think of two cliches and i always say cliches are a cliche for a reason um and i'm one who leans on mantras and um one of them is never waste an injury um, I'm sure you get this, um, but I don't think it has to be encapsulated by just an injury, you know, like when we, um, go beyond like just being a professional skier too, like never waste an inflection point in your life because that's an opportunity. And, you know, to your point, like one of the cliches that I think of is like, how can I think of this as this is happening? This isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. Because when you reframe it like that, you know, that totally resets what's ahead of you as an opportunity rather than, you know, a sorrow or a circumstance. And I think that that's like uh, really easy to 
like spout off these cliches and really easy to apply them to like the rest of life. But the reality is that it takes a lot of time to learn those and be able to apply those. Um, you know, I think that that's what we're all really getting into in like that element. Um, and I think that we're like kind of just starting to tap into that identity conversation. Um, yeah. And I think that it's, it's cool that we get to have this conversation, but I want to make sure that it's applicable to other people. So that's why I like mention those cliches to apply to normal life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> let me go this way. I kind of said a while back, I, it seems like a, a bit of a trap if someone's going to be doing something at a very high level in life and like that's a cool thing to do in life, like be passionate, go all in, you know, get obsessed. I think that's one of the coolest things about being alive, you know, and we can do this in a number of different areas perhaps if we're fortunate to live long enough. But th that question of if you go really hard and try to be excellent is something you start getting that pursuit gets wrapped up with identity. But hearing you all talk, I think that maybe it would be right to say identity is one thing. And maybe if you're going hard in a given area, it will necessarily start to get tied up. Your identity will get start to get tied up into that. But the word purpose comes to mind, right? And so you, with what you all were just saying, like, well, identity might be skier, you know, guide, instructor, et cetera, but thinking through, but like, what's the purpose of that? And that's something I've kind of heard you say. And I just keep thinking about, especially, you know, the people in this room, but even more so like young people coming up. And I love the idea of arming them with some things that maybe help them avoid some of the traps of like, I want to be great at this. And they just start narrowing you know, this is who I am and it's what I'm going to do. And again, I think maybe that is a bit necessary, but if we start thinking about like, okay, cool, but like, what's your purpose? And Johnny's talked about, you know, over the last five years, he has worked to try to educate people um, in terms of, you know, the exercise science stuff. Um, and, you know, you all have talked about these other thing aside from skiing gnarly lines, right? Um, maybe that's the move here. Identity is one thing, purpose is different, and we shouldn't condemn, can collapse those. Does that resonate? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, because I like what Sander was kind of saying. It's like, it is such a selfish pursuit to be a pro skier. And it's like, it, <clears throat> I mean, I'll do it as long as I possibly can because it's like provided me with so many great opportunities, but it's like, yeah, where does that end? If it's always just like, all right, give me this, give me this, give me this. It's like, well, what are you giving back? Like as a society, it feels much better when it's like a give and a take and, you know, we're helping each other out because I learn things every day from other people and it feels like good to me to like give back in some way. And I guess that's like a purpose feeling is that. And 
you know, and thinking about like the kids and the youth or these other things, um, I, it's my goal, I guess, with anything I would want to share would be, you know, giving them like the fishing pole, not the fish. It's like, yeah, you could give like, all right, here's the A, B's and C's of how to be a pro skier. But it's like, you'd much rather show them how to enjoy their time on skis and like, let them discover the rest. Cause they're the only ones that are going to find their identity and their purpose, you know, and you can only give them some tools to help move it along in a good way, I guess. I don't feel like it's selfish at all. Like I, I love skiing. I love that. It's been my life. Um, I sucked at school, school, and when you know, and I get, I feel like I have educated um, people I've come across in life through my um, enlightenment of skiing and how I've become a person, how I've um, evolved as a person through my world of skiing. Um, I've, I've changed a lot in my life. Um, I've had to go through some difficult pain and always recovering. And, and, you know, I've been to a gazillion therapists and in the end, I'm my own best therapist, um, to try to figure out shit. Uh, I think a lot about stuff and it's all revolved around my life as a skier and I've been able to make a living out of it. Um, you know, if I was better at school, then I could have been something else, but, I just ran with it. And when I started making money again as a free skier, I just, you know, I, I didn't even think twice about trying to get back into school. And and I feel like I have educated people through my passion of skiing in different ways. Um, it's all I really have to offer. And so as much as I can ski and learn from my own challenges and difficulties in life and evolved, and uh, I like to help people whether it's on the chairlift, skiing with them, teaching them skiing, but also trying to teach them how to be more confident about themselves, how to be um, just, you know, trust themselves more. Uh, I feel like I've kind of become a therapist on the chairlift sometimes, and I like that part of it. Um, and so my, out, my livelihood is skiing, but I definitely feel like I try to pass on everything that I've learned through um, growing through the sport and my challenges to others. And so I'm just stuck here. Well, okay. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm, I'm old. There's no going back now. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, one of the things I would say, both from personal experience and from what you said earlier in this very conversation and from the responses of so many of our attendees in our last summit, Summit A, is the joy part. You just were talking about education. But if y'all remember like 20 minutes ago, Wendy talking about, she's like, I just love being out with people and showing them stuff. And like, again, the reports we've been getting over the last several days of like, I got to ski with Wendy and it was the most fun. And that's how I feel about skiing with you. And so I think that like education is one thing and I know you do that well, but just that experience of like lighting people up, that's a big deal. Right. And I would say not to put words in your mouth, but I think if if you have a purpose going on in life or it's kind of tangential to skiing, it might be that. Yeah, I, I don't um I mean I love it. I I I feel I mean people would not even know that I battle depression and get sad and down and out because I don't portray that. But uh my brain's always 
thinking about life and how did I get here and how is my path and why am I not afraid to get hurt and why, you know, and again, you know, it's my parents pushing me out to keep skiing. They could have been like, you should never ski again. And I probably would have been a scaredy cat the rest of my life. Um, I believe in one life to live. So just throw it all out there. Uh, and yeah, I really love pass passing on my passion and, um, and, yeah, anyway, but thing, yeah. Was there, like, a certain point where you, I mean, I'm sure you've always loved passing on your passion, but was there, like, at a certain point or age that you were, like, realized how much you liked passing that on? Yeah, I mean, it went in stages. Like like I said, um, you know, when I realized I was going to quit ski racing and how sad it was that I didn't see a future in skiing after that. I mean, you have to get a job and then you get to ski on the side, that was sad to me. Um, but I was not ready to teach people. I had no patience. Like, I didn't feel done. I was still like a, a young trapped tiger or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, I need to, I just, anyway. And and honestly, seeing Shane, I mean, um, so I went to, I grew up at Swa with Shane. Then we both went to Burke to a ski academy together. Um, and then he was at CU and I was at CU. And when I... And then I go back home to Tahoe, and then he was back at Tahoe. And I remember it was like winter break, and I'm just down in the dumps. And I was just hearing Shane like doing a mogul contest. Like, how could you do a mogul contest, Shane? Like, we are not mogul skiers. Alpine racers are like, you know, it's like east and west side. Um, so now he's mogul skiing. I'm like, what is he doing? And then he's doing this, and he's doing that. And I started to be like, oh, my God, Shane's having so much fun. And I'm not anymore. And uh, so, I mean, it was really, I mean, I don't have a lot of idols. I just, like, I, I, people influence me. But, um, but Shane definitely, I, I remember being at Squaw and it was a powder day. And he's with Scott Gaffney. And I saw him at the gondola. And I became suddenly the starstruck. I mean, Shane was a dork. I was never starstruck by him before. I, I mean, I've known him since I was six all through high school. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, there's Shane. I'm like, Shane, can I go ski with you? Like, can I follow you? I just, I just needed that. Um, and yeah, it just, uh, you know, like I said, I follow my heart and, uh, like I, I was ready to quit skiing, but I thought it was sad to do that. Um, it's a fun sport. And, uh, and then it, it finally evolved. Like people used to always ask me, what am I doing wrong, Wendy? I'm like, I have no freaking idea. Like, I don't know. You know, people tell me what to do. I don't, I don't know how to tell people how to ski. And then it became enough that I, you know, I started to mellow out and, um, started to analyze my own ski. I'm like, what do I do? How do people ski? Uh, I just, I was more of a natural skier. I mean, coaches told me things, but I don't remember it. You know, obviously it, it came in, but I just didn't think, I'm not a technical person. But I started to think about what do I do? Because everyone's like, you look naturally, you make it look so flowy and easy. So once I tapped into what I'm doing and then now watching people ski and now trying to help people ski. So my, my skiing career has keeps evolving. Like it's not like, um, I feel like I keep progressing in who I am as a skier. And so that's refreshing to me. I'm not the same person as 10 years ago. Um, so that's what I just strive for is how, how to evolve the sport. How am I going to change with it? How can I help people change and enjoy it? Um, 
So that's my mission. Well, I guess my self-deprecating side is being changed by these colorful people here um, and realizing that pro skiing does actually inspire people. Um, and it makes me think of a conversation I had with a friend three days ago. He called me, he's 35 years old. He just went on his first photo shoot and he jumped off a cliff and did a front flip and he called me and he was so juiced. He's like, man, I'm so grateful for you. Like, you're the reason I'm still skiing. I'm like, wait a sec, he's the reason I'm still skiing too. So like, I think those phone calls are important. Like, you know, you can push spreadsheets and all you want, but you're probably not getting those phone calls at your normal job. So I guess this is pretty cool. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, it's super cool. And it's like, it feels maybe the selfishness feel of it just comes from, it's like, I've been the young guy on the crew for like 15 years now, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's like you're getting info and all it's like learning so much from everyone and everyone's passing it on. And then it's like, at what point is it like, do I begin sharing it? So maybe that's where the selfishness feeling is. It's like, I've gotten so much help and so much encouragement and knowledge. And then it's like, when and what, do you start giving back? And I, maybe that's the spot that we're in. Thank you. Exactly, man. Well, yeah. I think the, oh, sorry. Well, I just think the selfishness is, is because we're having fun. Like yeah. we love what we do. <laughs> On a Tuesday. And I mean, <laughs> and, and, and so I'm not making the million dollars on whatever. And I, I've come to terms that, you know, thank God we got, bought a house in 92 here. And so we, we can still live here. Thank God. You know, I, I'm good at saving money. I'm, I'm not, you know, and so, therefore, I do get to live this lifestyle. I'm not looking to have, you know, three houses and stuff. Like, that. I, it's a simple lifestyle. So if you can be happy with that, then there's no selfishness in loving that you just love to ski and you've made this your passion and your life and embrace it because there are so many people. I used to want to quit. Oh, I kept telling my friends, I need to quit what I'm doing. This is when I was filming with Matchstick and – and all this stuff, like, I need to get a real job. I need to do that. I felt like such a loser. And all my friends were like, no, if you can keep writing this out, you should. So many times. So, like, why would you quit to do that when you already have this established? And I finally, you know, I finally had to come to terms, like, I I, I don't know what to do, you know? Um, and so I just keep trying to every year figure out how to make it work and, um and I don't feel guilty that I get to go ski and, and, and love it and, and hopefully help other people get better at it so they can love it more as well. So I think you do. I mean, my kid is 14. He's just on Instagram looking at skiers all the time, you know? So you do bring the stoke. And um, there has to be some of us out there. Yeah, um, there's, once again, so much in there. Um, I want to hit on the note of selfishness first. Um, I think that a lot of us feel this, like not just pro skiers, that it feels very selfish to, you know, shape your life or even your day around uh, going and experiencing joy from skiing powder. Um, but I think that when do you illustrate, like, the joy that that creates inside yourself is a joy that you emanate out into the world. And that positive energy is your reciprocity of the joy that you're extracting from that powder. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And one of the ways that I talk about it and think about it, and I just had this conversation on the skin track three days ago, is that 
skiing is an opportunity to like recharge my battery. Skiing is a life force. And if I go skiing and it makes me more able to show up as a human being day to day, if it makes me a better boyfriend, a better brother, like by recharging my life force and like using that energy for good, like that I got from skiing, like that's not selfish at all. That's where the purpose lies in there. And, you know, I I think it's interesting, like the point you bring up that it inspires like, you know, your son to see Sander on Instagram. Like today I had these two kids, probably like 12 years old, Crested Butte locals ski up behind me while I was sitting at the top of the T-bar and they're like, hey, are you Drew Peterson? (laughs) And I was like, damn, like, and every time... Dude, I, I, I got a I pro call out yesterday while I was going for a run, which is really funny because I was like, how did you recognize me while I'm in running tights with my hair up? Um, so that was a little ironic. But like inspiring those kids to take a positive track through life is a fantastic thing that we have the privilege and opportunity to do. And, you know, I think that this connects back to purpose because like it does feel selfish when you're getting started and when you're young in your career, you're like, what's this for? But at the same time, like if I hadn't invested the last like 12 years of my life into building this career, then I wouldn't have the platform. I wouldn't have the means to create the film that I just created to talk about mental health and to create cultural change. Like that's the benefit of, you know, what felt selfish to begin with that like extraction from skiing, from the sport of skiing, from the ski community. And now it's reciprocity and that's where there's purpose in it. And I hear it in every single one of our voices that that purpose is there and it's alive and well. And I think like I've like, just from having this conversation, it, you know, shifts me into a much more positive mindset about what I'm going to wake up and do tomorrow. Let's open this up to questions. Uh, Seems like we have a few. Um, Yeah. So the question is, um, it doesn't seem like professional athletes in other sports, if it's the NBA or the NFL, we don't hear them talking a lot about this question of, is it selfish to be a professional skier? So where is this coming from? Like, I mean, I have, I have one take or opinion on that is um, like our society is built so much around like pumping the tires and like inflating the egos of athletes to a ridiculous degree. And like when you're paying Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars on his 12 year deal, like does he have to think about if that's selfish or not? No, he can just like donate, you know, 40 million to whatever charity and he's not selfish anymore. Um, But I think like, (laughs) and I will say, I don't have $40 million to donate to a charity just to like 
wipe my guilt of feeling selfish about building a pro skiing career. So I think there's that element, but also like, you know, my first point that our society is built to like inflate the egos of these people. I see a lot more ego in, you know, baseball, basketball, football than I see in skiing. And maybe that's just because the mountains are made to make you humble. But I think that that's where a lot of it comes from. I don't know. It's weird because skiing is such a recreational sport. It's not like baseball and football, but it's a free flow sport. Like people just pay tickets, you know, buy tickets and go, but we're just doing it all the time. So I feel like that's kind of a conflict. Like, and we don't make a lot of money. So it's like, all right, we don't make a lot of money, but we're doing this all the time. Is that morally sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm so lame. I don't have a real job. Um, so that, that gets in my head because it's, this is more of a playful recreational sport. It's not like baseball, football. I mean, who goes and, I mean, you have pickup games here or there, but I mean, you can see like all hundreds of people come here just to recreate and, um, we're just doing it all the time and some, and not making a lot of money. We don't make the big contracts. So it's kind of like, where's our priority, um, so it does. It's always gotten in my head. I'm it finally just, you know, recently where I'm like, let it go. I'm already, I can't turn back now. This is who I am. Let it go. And, but it's taken me years because every year I'm like, oh, I need to get a real job. Like it, it is this perception that we're just playing all the time, which I mean, we kind of are, but we're also working. It is trying to make that next paycheck. How are we going to promote ourselves to be able to ski another season? It's, it's definitely not easy traveling, you know? So I don't know. I guess that's where my, when I get into that, thinking that way. I think that like one point that just rings true and, and, you know, I hit on it. I immediately went to money. Wendy immediately went to money. And I think that it's not really about money or finances. I think that a lot of it comes down to external validation and approval indicators and money's the most obvious one in our society. So, um, you know, I think that if if that's how you like clean your conscience that you're getting this external validation or you know approval, then then maybe that keeps you going. But um, you know, I think that just goes back to my last point that I think that the mountains keep you humble. Hmm. So the question was: in a world where it's become perhaps increasingly important for. Uh, athletes to, you know, be growing a social media following and getting likes and subscribes and the rest. Um, can you talk about to what extent that has a mental toll on what it is to be in your profession? Yeah. Um, I think just to be quite honest, I think it kind of, sucks honestly <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's like when instagram first started and i like opened my account in 2012 or it was like what a cool thing it's like see all my friends doing this cool stuff and then it just became this like super weird way of like uh, this popularity contest and it's like to your point, it was like, it was giving me anxiety every single day of like, what am I going to post that people are going to like? How am I going to be popular? And it's just like, yeah, that's a rocky downhill road. 
And for me, it was like, I, I don't really like it, but it feels a lot better just to even to circle back to the purpose thing. And it's like, I view Instagram for me as like a tool. And if I'm putting something out that is like, has purpose to it and is like maybe educational or something, it's like, then I want to put it out. But otherwise it's just this like kind of a pointless popularity contest. Otherwise, I don't know if that really targeted your question at all. And uh, so I'm just going to add one thing on there. It's like, I think a somewhat disturbing part about it for me is it's like you see people's life in these like little tiles that is like a photo or a 30 second video with the little caption and yeah. And then all of a sudden you're a hero and it's like, yeah, but that was this tiny micro portion of my day that doesn't show who I am. It's like all my followers, it's like, they don't really know who I am because I can't put it all out there. And so sometimes it feels like a really incomplete way to share yourself with the world in a way. And, uh, it can be, I, I think personally, it's like kind of tough to put stuff out there and it's like, it can just get misread in so many ways. And they're not, they're not, people aren't really seeing you for who you are maybe. Sorry. That was awesome. And, um, you know, actually I, I make jokes about this on Instagram. Um, I, I joke about my marketing plan that basically I post funny jokes and I post sexy ski videos to make thousands of people follow me. And then I bait and switch them. And I talk about things that matter like mental health and climate change. <laughs> so that's how I've like gamed the system <laughs> and it's working great. Uh, <laughs> But to the overall conversation point of what does that do mentally, you know, whether that be to us or other people is really important. And um, if Wendy and I had skied together, we probably would have had this conversation. But I had this conversation with Johnny and Sander already today. And like for me, there's, there's, the, there's the side like personally that especially when I was going through really dark struggles, I didn't put that out on Instagram. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, like one, I'm not advocating for blind vulnerability. Like you need to protect yourself. But at the same time, like the version of myself that I was putting out into the world, while it was true, it was only one side of me. And that goes back to what Johnny said, like that doesn't show the whole me. And that like goes back to one of the earlier topics of like identity. And that like, honestly, fucks with my own sense of my own self identity. If I don't feel like I'm being myself to other people. So there's that side of Instagram. And then also like personally, scrolling is just such a negative force in my life that like I've been working to build in a healthier relationship with my phone and with social media. And it's ridiculous that the links that I have to go to, to do this, like I have an app on my phone that runs a VPN to block Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> like, because I'm an addict, like that's ridiculous. But at the same time, like what we have to understand is that these social media companies 
have billions of dollars of engineering behind them to capture our attention. And, you know, to that point, I think it kind of goes back to some of the other pieces that if we're using these tools to capture people's attention, then it better be for something good. Because if it's just, you know, how many likes, how many views can I get? Then I'm extracting your attention for my own gain. Like, it's got to be for something good. And, like, personally, when I am able to follow through on that purpose, and then also when I'm able to limit my consumption, I feel much better. And that goes back to, like, another, like, little, like, cliche, like, creation is more important than consumption. So, at least when it comes to media. I'm going to jump in on this one because I think it's so important and it ties just back into Instagram and everything because I think the most tangible way, and like Johnny says, Instagram became so weird. It's like a sponsor marketplace of like how many numbers do you have and everything. So, I would tell upcoming pro skier, like just go skiing every day. Don't try to like get a story post or get something like that. Like the best stuff happens when you're just skiing every day. And that sounds so whatever trivial, but like simply just go skiing every day and with people that you enjoy skiing with. And I don't know, that's my answer. Yeah. yeah. If you're not having fun, you can't do it. I mean, you, you just have no life in it. I mean, so upcoming athletes, they have to love what they're doing. Otherwise they get to a dead end. I mean, and then you're swimming the toilet bowl because you're so down and out or, you know, like you have to love, you have to have the passion. Otherwise it just, you're not being true to yourself. And so kids don't have to be, they don't, if they feel pressure that they have to be the skier and they're not loving it, I mean, that that's getting them nowhere. Like they have to then decide. And I, I talk to, you know, my friend does a running camp every summer and I have kids coming up to me and running's hard. I'm like, oh my God, they're coming here for three weeks to run every day, um, team prep. And he's a friend of mine, but I, I give a talk. I'm like, you guys are, I mean, this is hard. Running every day is hard. You being here is awesome. That's the first step. But, um, you know, then kids come up to me like, I don't really want to be doing this anymore. I want to do something. I'm like, you need, you can't, you just, you can't keep doing something that you don't love to do, whether it's being a lawyer or working or whatever. I mean, it's just, I, that's, that's me. I, you know, I, I can't do anything if I'm not happy. And so that's what I, if, you know, kids are struggling and they, they're not finding their moment, they need to find another one because there's something there for everyone. You just have to discover it and you don't have to keep walking the same tight line, you know, if, if it's not for you. And the social media thing, I mean, I freaking hate it. Um, I, I mean, I do scroll. I have, but like if I'm in the post office and I'm bored, I, I'll see, my, my finger wants to go to Instagram, but I'm like, I'm going to play backgammon instead. Like I, I try to go to games. I do look every now and then the hardest time for me was, um, one, I kind of miss that generation. Like I just, again, I, I am a little, I'm not as intuitive Instagramming. I know how to post a photo and that's it. I don't know what other things you can do to enhance it. Um, when I do look at photos and stuff or like scroll through, if you write more than that much, I'm not reading it. I just, you got to <laughs> capture me in the moment. I just don't want to read. I have my own things. I don't want to read everyone's diary. You know, that's me. Um, 
And then uh, after I had kids and scrolling through and seeing girls traveling around the world, flying in helicopters, uh, doing sick shit, I just, I couldn't do it. I Like, it totally bottomed me out again because I love my kids. Anybody who knows me, girls, you know I love my kids. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, it it was so hard. The battle of seeing other people doing stuff, and I'm home with kids now, and it, <laughs> it was, and, and, you know, now they're older and stuff, and I love it, and I love them, but going to social media and seeing people living their lives that I once was living was too much for me. So, and then I had an opportunity, um, you know, I was done with the ski company, another ski company said they'd give me product, you know, and then another one came to me, a friend of mine's like, hey, Wendy, we want to build this women's program. And I go, well, what's my obligation? Well, you need to post two times a week, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and the other company put no obligations. I'm like, I am not going your way. Like, I just don't need to post about myself. I do. I definitely am not saying I don't post stuff. I do. But I'm not chronic about it. You know, I'm not going to put stuff out there all the time. So... And I've gotten over the likes. I just am never going to have the amount that other people have. And it's okay. I'm okay with it. I'm a people person, if you haven't seen. Like, I'm more of a people person. Like, let's talk. Um, and that's what I said to my sponsor who wanted me. I'm like, I'm a people person. I'm old school. Like, put me in a room with people. I'll talk them all day long. I'm not going to freaking post shit. I just, I don't have the time. To the, to the question, back to the original question of, what advice do you give to kids like who are starting skiing? Like I keep it super simple. I say, keep it fun and keep your motivations pure. And you know, maybe on this note, I'd add be yourself. The question is like, so how do you acknowledge risk without thinking about it and that too much and it leading to that actually happening? Um, I think, yeah, like for me, yeah, we try and take every step we can to acknowledge every risk that's out there. And then an important piece is like trying to learn as much as we can about the risk. So like whether that be the avalanche danger, you know, injuries and doing medical stuff in the field, it's like try and cover our bases as much as we can to have the cards play out in our favor. And then... um because yeah, well, like when you're on top, I'm not thinking about like, okay, if I mess this up, I got two broken legs. It's like, yeah, it's there. I know it could. And that was a risk I had already accepted a long time ago. And now it's just like, I've, you know, I've sharpened my ax and now it's time to chop down the tree and apply all the skills and knowledge that I've built up and trained for. And it's like, I'm ready to do this kind of thing. And, and that's a generalization, but, uh, that's kind of how I look at it. Well, for skiing, like, okay, you hit a golf ball. Well, it's already on its trajectory. It's gone. But skiing, like, if we're in a on a peak and, you know, we have to look at our obstacles. There's a cliff over there. Okay, if there's an avalanche, my out is over there. But then it's free-flowing. Like, once we go, we also have to be spontaneous in the moment of what's coming at us. So, I mean, it takes years of training. Like, when you talk about people who want to get in the backcountry the first time, I mean, we're all green at once, for sure. But I think it's taken years for us to be able to think in the moment, 
and anticipating stuff that's happening in the moment and also where our outs are and how are we going to get out of it. And But you're never thinking of getting hurt. You're just thinking of, you know, there's consequences, but, but you also know that we've been practicing and planning and preparing for every run that we get out there and do. So the question is, in the pursuit of just elite, elite performance at the highest level, is it inevitable uh, that there are going to be significant injuries in that pursuit or is there a more sustainable way to get there? Drew? <laughs> Man, um, yeah, there's a sustainable way to do it if I knew what I knew now when I was 10 years old. <laughs> um, but that's not really possible. I'd say like, you know, the other side, um, and I'd like to toss this to Johnny now is um, just looking at it really holistically with, um, you know, a lot of strength work and, and just an overall picture at wellness. So what do you think of that, Johnny? Yeah, I don't think that there needs to be some huge disaster to be a top performing athlete and but I think there is something for everyone that happened and it's you know it's like a, a major injury for someone might be a bump in the road for another person because it's like every person and every injury is different and everyone's life story is different and you know somebody I think everybody had probably has something that was like kind of a big experience in life that changed your trajectory one way or the other um and so short answer is no i don't think there has to be some crazy backstory but often there is <laughs> just a short answer i do think you do have to have a little bit of a tick like we're all a little off in our own ways and there is something internally that drives you and that might lead you into a hole at some point <clears throat> Didn't think you'd get claps for that. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. We're crazy, man. <laughs> um, I hate to do it. We're going to do one more question and then um, close this up. But I think these four folks will be hanging around. Um, we'll be hanging around. So um, please ask your questions uh, if, uh, if we didn't get to them now. Um, yeah. So the question is about support systems. I'll let you run from there. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, go for it. Okay. Like I just like from personal experience, you know, I did not have support systems built into my life when I was younger in a lot of different ways, you know, physically and mentally for sure. Um, and I think that that would have made things totally different. You know, it even goes to the prior question, like, if you have really good mentorship and you have really strong support systems built around you, like from a young age and you engage with that in a healthy manner, then that's a sustainable way to live and progress in an athletic career for sure. Um, you know, for me personally, like I had close to no support systems until like my life got really dark. Like, I didn't know how to pick up the phone to call a friend. I had never scheduled an appointment with a therapist. I didn't know what website to go to until I was thinking very seriously about killing myself. And like, if I had better support systems, then of course, like 
life would be totally different. But now I've built that support system. And that's why, you know, like I say, I wish that 10-year-old me knew what I know now. Like I wish 10-year-old me had the support system I do now because I've got amazing relationships with my friends, my doctors, my family. Like I've got an awesome support system now. So I think that that is the importance cannot be overstated. So I'm glad you asked the question. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have such a great support system, both like family oriented and professionally. It's like, it feels funny to like take any credit for almost anything I've done because it's like, couldn't happen without the people around me and everybody that's like, help me get to where I am and help me push through like hard times or anything. So it's kind of a we thing, my journey. I'm kind of like Wendy where she talked earlier about like being her own therapist and internalizing things. I don't think I've, I'm not really open to a support system that way. And I, I was talking to Sturbens, Matt Sturbens earlier today on when we were skinning about like learning so much more from your losses and your wins. And like, to me, that's like an inflection point. Like you were saying, those are important, but to me, it's like, where can I go from here? So I don't know, different support systems work different ways. Well, we opened by saying we were going to maybe try to expand this notion of the mental game. And I think you all did that quite effectively and uh, really appreciate you sharing your perspectives and your experiences. And uh, I'm, I think you've given us a lot to think about. And again, I come back to, uh, there's going to be a lot of young people, I think that end up watching this uh, video and this conversation and talking about wishing that there were support systems in place. I think very much yes to that. And Drew, you know, keep going on the work you're currently doing. Um, but I just think too, that, uh, I don't know that conversations like this were happening or were as available five, 10, 15 years ago. And I think that, uh, for young people to perhaps, you know, be put, uh, have a broader perspective, given some of the things you've just said here tonight, I think that is something worth celebrating and uh, a, a note for us to all say thanks. So thanks. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Johnny and Wendy and Sander and Drew for this conversation. I want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And from the entire Blister team, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again later this week.